This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. We'll be focusing on the words from Matthew chapter 1, his account of the Christmas story. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to the son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for gathering us here around your word. I pray that you would be our Savior, Jesus, that you would wash away all our sins, that you would rescue us today, that you would be our Emmanuel, you'd be God with us right now, and that we would leave here confident in your love and your plans for our lives. And Lord God, don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of the work of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Well, last week, Pastor Bill preached on what he said was his favorite movie, Home Alone. And that makes sense because I kind of feel like I'm in that movie every time I walk into work. When I come into this building, he has already set a few booby traps to scare me before I come to the office and just ask our staff. It's for everyone else here as well. And so I can see where he gets that from. But this week, I get to preach on my favorite movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, And I'm not alone. In fact, this movie is on the, the, the top 100 movies of all time, which is pretty surprising because when it first released, it was a box office flop. But over time, people saw how universal this message was And it became a classic Christmas movie. Now it's public domain. Anyone can watch it at any time. And it's become like a Christmas tradition. But why is that? Why does this movie resonate with so many of us still today? This this old black and white film, why does it still speak to us today? Well, let's walk through the the plot and and see if we can find where, where this story touches ours. Um, You know, we're continuing this sermon series, Christmas at the Movies, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to see how these classic Christmas movies tell 
a story that, that connects with the ultimate story, the, the message of Christmas, and with our story. Well, in It's a Wonderful Life, uh, a George Bailey, he's in what he calls a dumpy old town, Bedford Falls. And he's got these big dreams to, to see the world and, and do something significant. And right as he's about to get out of town, his father passes away. And their family business, the Bailey Building and Loan, is about to be sold to the evil Mr. Potter. And so in his own integrity and loyalty to his family and his community, George Bailey decides to put his plans on hold and to take over the business. And this business is on a shoestring budget. They're, they're barely making ends meet. And it gets even worse. On Christmas Eve, his, his kind of um, you know, foolish Uncle Billy loses an $8,000 deposit, really everything that they have, and somehow it winds up in the hands of the evil Mr. Potter. Well, George Bailey, he's freaking out. They, they retrace all their steps. They try to find this money. They can't find it anywhere. In his desperation, he even goes to the evil Mr. Potter for help. But Potter calls the cops on him, and George Bailey's hopeless. He goes home, and in his anxiety and fear and all those things, he lashes out on his family, which is what can happen today. He takes it out on his family, and then in his desperation, he goes and tries to drink all his problems away, which never helps. And then finally, he finds himself at the bridge. And he thinks about his life and he thinks, I'm better off dead than alive. I'm worth more dead than alive. And he contemplates taking his own life. And I think this is where the movie resonates and tells a universal story that connects with people over time. Because all of us have been at the bridge. We've all been there metaphorically or maybe Really, we've been at the bridge because maybe we're, we're dealing with some crisis of our faith. Maybe it's because of the guilt or shame of things that we have done or the loss in our life. But we look out at our life and it looks hopeless. We think our best days are behind us. And so here's the question I want to answer today. How do we regain hope when we're on the bridge? And to answer that question, we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 1, the story of Christmas. And, and if you'd open up your Bibles, you would open up to the book of Matthew. And, and when Matthew writes his account of the life of Jesus, he begins with this long genealogy. And what he's trying to do there is to show that the message of Jesus, the story of Jesus, connects with the Old Testament story. And so he shows how Jesus can trace his line back to the first Hebrew, the first Jew, Abraham, and how God has been watching this story, guiding this story up until the time of Jesus. And then Matthew writes this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Literally, this is the genesis of Jesus. Every great hero has their origin story. And this is Jesus origin story. And so Matthew goes on to explain it. He says, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. 
Now, in our culture, getting married and preparing for marriage is a pretty big deal. We can spend a lot of time and money on a wedding celebration, but it is nothing compared to what it would have been like in ancient Israel. You know, when we get married, uh, we think about two people coming together and starting a new family. When they would think about marriage, it was about two families coming together, a whole community coming together, and they would plan for a week-long celebration. You know, in our individualistic lives, in our culture today, you know, our greatest dreams might be to be a, have a successful career, or to make a name for ourselves. But in ancient Israel, their biggest dream was to get married and have a family and to bring these families together. And that's why it was so devastating when Joseph heard the news. Matthew goes on. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Joseph hears that, that the one he's engaged to, she's pregnant, and, and he knows where babies come from. You know, he puts it together logically. I'm not the father. Someone else is. She's been unfaithful, and he is devastated. He doesn't know what Matthew knows and what we read in the text, that this is a one-time miracle in history, that God has been at work, that God caused this, this pregnancy to happen through the work of the Holy Spirit. And all of his hopes and his dreams and his vision of his future has been dashed. And so he's ready to do something drastic in his hopelessness. He thinks his best days are behind him. And so Matthew goes on to say, But be, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He was faithful to the law. According to ancient Jewish law, Mary could have been stoned if this was brought out publicly. If, if Joseph would tell the community, she could be dragged out and stoned in front of everybody. And he didn't want that to happen to Mary. So instead of getting vengeance on her, he took all of that internally. He took that all on himself and he internalized all this hopelessness and, and fear and anxiety and sadness and hopelessness about the future. Is that how you're feeling right now? How much are you internalizing? Maybe it's about the, the pandemic or about, the, about politics right now that, that you look out at our country and your life and, and the future and maybe you think our best days are behind us. Got no hope for the future. Or, or maybe it's more personal. Maybe you've had a moral failure. You've done something that's ruined your relationship with maybe your spouse or with somebody else in your life. You've screwed things up. And you have so much guilt and shame, you think, you know what? My best days are behind me. Or maybe you've lost somebody that you really care about. That person was there with you, and it gets even harder, especially as you get closer to the holidays, and you think, because I lost this special somebody, my best days are behind me. I'm never going to have the joy I used to have. And so you have that feeling of hopelessness. That's your view of reality. That's how you see the world. You're at the bridge. 
Well, what happened in the movie It's a Wonderful Life when, when George Bailey is at the bridge? When he's at the bridge, uh, an angel gets sent to him, Clarence, right? Kind of this dopey angel, Clarence. And Clarence jumps into the water in front of George Bailey so that George Bailey will be kind of woken up from, his, from what he's thinking about and he jumps in and saves Clarence and takes him out and for that moment he, he saves his life. But George Bailey still feels hopeless. It doesn't change how he really feels about his life. And, and he tells Clarence, he says, you know what? It would be better if I was never born. And so Clarence gives him his wish. He lets George Bailey see what Bedford Falls would look like if he was never born. Except it's not called Bedford Falls anymore because George Bailey wasn't there. Now it's named after Potter, the evil Mr. Potter. And, and his brother's not there. He looks for his brother. His brother's not there because George Bailey was not there to save him from falling into the ice when he was a young boy. And all the people that he had helped through the, the Bailey building and loan, well, they weren't living in those homes. And the one he would marry his wife, she was never married because he was not there to marry her. And all of a sudden, he started seeing a different perspective of what it was like. He started to see his value, started to get a new version of reality. Something similar happens in the original Christmas story. Just like George Bailey, Joseph gets a Christmas angel. This is what we read in our text. But after he had considered this, considered doing that drastic thing, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And Matthew goes on, and what did the angel say? Joseph, son of David, connecting him back to the line of the Savior. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid, Joseph. I know from your perspective the things that you can see through your own two eyes. It looks like something has gone wrong, like this is a problem. But don't be afraid because actually what's happened is the Holy Spirit's been at work. This is not a problem. This is not an accident. God actually was at work. In fact, this child is going to be someone special. And you want to, you're going to name this child a very special name because this is a special child. The, the angel goes on to say this. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek way of saying the Hebrew name Joshua. Or maybe it sounds more like this, Yeshua. And Yeshua is the Hebrew way of saying the Lord saves. And so the angel told Joseph, you name this child, the Lord saves. Name him, the Lord saves. Why? Because this child is going to save his people from their sins. And not only that, he goes on to say, this is not like a, a plan that God thought up on a whim or just in this moment. God had been planning this throughout history. He'd been putting all things together. And Matthew kind of reminds us this. He, he, he puts in this little explanation into the text explaining that not only could you call him Jesus, but, but you can call him something else. Verse 22. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. That's the prophet Isaiah. And that's 700 years before Jesus. The prophet Isaiah said this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Which is the Hebrew way of saying God with us. And so Joseph was supposed to have a a whole new perspective on what was actually going on. And that's what this text is teaching us as well. Here's what I want you to learn from today's reading. We have a limited view of reality. That's what you need to understand. When we're going through uh, pain or problems or suffering or guilt or shame or hopelessness, it's because we have a limited view of reality. All of us can only see things out of our own two eyes. And and we can only see things from this point in history, you know, 2021, December 12, 2020. We can only see things from this spotlight or this, this section of history through our own two eyes. And guess what our own two eyes usually focuses on? Our two eyes usually focuses on the negative. We see something and then we interpret it. This is bad. This is wrong. This is hopeless. This is not going to work out. This is all wrong. And we seem to just fixate and perseverate and think about what's wrong and negative and bad and nothing's going to change this. And so what do we need to do? When all those, that negative, small, narrow perspective of reality takes us to the bridge, well, here's the answer to our opening question. How do we regain, regain hope when we're on the bridge? Live by faith, not by sight. Now, when the biblical authors say that live by faith, not by sight, maybe you think that means live by your hope, your dream, your wish. Don't live according to reality, what you can see. Just hope things are better. But that's not how the biblical authors talk about it. Live by faith means to trust God's view of reality, to trust his perspective that that as God looks at history, he knows exactly what he's doing. That, that he will fulfill all of his promises, especially in Jesus Christ, to live according to God's view of reality, not by our limited sight. To live by faith means to live according to the promises of God and the true reality, not according to our limited vantage point. There's a book right now in my Audible queue. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I'm looking forward to listening to it because I'm intrigued by the title. It says this. The title of the book is, Don't believe everything you think. I think that's so true. Whether the book is good or not, it's worth the price of the the title right there, right? Because that's so true. Because here's what happens. We we look at something. George Bailey looks at losing the $8,000 and he, he thinks everything's hopeless. You look at something and you, you come up with an idea, a truth, and it becomes the way, the, the lens you look at things. It's bad. It's hopeless. Nothing's going to change. I might as well end my life. Joseph, he, he looks, his wife is pregnant. She's been unfaithful. Everything's going bad. Nothing's going to work out. It's hopeless. You and I, we look at something, we see something, and we think something, but don't believe everything you think. Learn to doubt your own thoughts sometimes. Live by faith, not by your limited sight. 
So how do we get God's view of reality? How do we see what's really going on in the world? Well, I don't know about you, but I would prefer if I got my own Christmas angel this year, wouldn't you? I mean, Joseph got a Christmas angel. George Bailey got a Christmas angel. I want a Christmas angel. I want an angel to come down and tell me what's really going on in the world, what I should really believe, how I should really look at the world, what I should really think about the future. But for whatever reason, we don't see that happen all the time. It seems like we don't hear about it much before Christmas. We don't hear about it much after the first Christmas. God doesn't normally work that way. Well, why not? Well, what usually happens when somebody says they have a, per, uh, a special revelation from God, they usually think it's all about them, uh, they, uh, the conflicting ideas of reality. So instead of that, God has decided to give us all a revelation. That anytime you want to see what God's view of reality is, you just open up your Bible. And so today, as we open up our Bibles and read this section, what does God tell us about reality? Well, if you're hopeless because you have sin and guilt and moral failing on your record and you think, there's no way I'm going to get out of this, there's no way I'm going to find freedom, there's no way I'm going to be rescued, you read today that Joseph was going to have a baby and they were to name this child Yeshua, the Lord saves, because he has saved you from your sins. He's revealed to you that Christmas is about rescuing you from all of your guilt and your shame. And if you look out at your life and you think, I'm all alone, I lost that loved one, I've lost my hope and encouragement, I've lost hope for the future, I don't know who's going to go with me. What did we read today that Christmas is all about? Emmanuel, that God is with you, the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. He is still Emmanuel, God with us. And what happens when we live according to God's revelation? When we live according to his view of reality? When we live by faith, not by sight? Well, what happened in our text? It says, verse 24, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So Joseph started to live according to faith in God's promises and not his own sight, and he did things differently, which is interesting because not much changed in his life. He still had a pregnant fiance who was pregnant with a child that was not his own. He still had a lot of questions to answer, and yet because he lived by faith, he took the actions that God told him to do. He got married to this woman, Mary. He named this child Jesus. He lived by faith, not according to his limited sight. The same thing happened with George Bailey. After Clarence left him and, and he saw things, and, you know, not much change in his life. He was still out $8,000, he still had problems with Potter. He still had all these still in what he called a dead-end city, Bedford Falls. And yet his perspective changed on reality. He lived by faith, not by sight. He went home and he hugged and kissed his kids and welcomed them and got ready to celebrate Christmas. And the same is true for you. In the little time that we've been here today, uh, you know, things have not changed in your life. The circumstances have not changed. You walked in here with whatever guilt is on your record, whatever problems or loss or suffering that you are experiencing. And guess what? You're going to leave here and your circumstances have not changed. But I pray your perspective has. 
I pray that, that you leave here without the guilt around your shoulders because you know of Yeshua, Jesus, the Lord saves, that you are a forgiven, loved child of God and that you leave your sins at the communion meal and you walk out here knowing you are forgiven and free that the Lord saves. Maybe you walked in here feeling alone, but I pray that your perspective has changed, that you have Emmanuel, God with you. Wherever you go, you are not alone. He has good plans for you. And that's why they titled this movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Not because life is easy, not because everything goes our way, but but when your perspective changes, you can say no matter what's going on in my life because I believe in God's plans, it's a wonderful life. So I pray that you would receive and believe that you have Yeshua, Jesus, the Lord has saved you. I, I pray that you'd walk out here and know that you have Emmanuel, Jesus, God with you. And when you do, no matter what is going on in your life, it'll be a wonderful life. So live by faith and not by your limited sight. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you know all of the burdens, all of the fears, all of the anxiety, all the guilt, all the shame. You know the hopelessness that's in this room. You know the people here who are on the bridge right now. They don't know what to do next. They want to give up. Lord God, I pray that you would give us a different perspective. Your perspective that we live by faith in your promises to love us, to accept us, that you have good plans in our life and not by our limited sight. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.